This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for September 20th, 2019. In this week's episode, iOS 13 is available, data collection comes to television, a new SIM card flaw emerges, Netcat affects Intel CPUs, and more new features in iOS and iPadOS 13. Now here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst Josh Long. So it's that time of the year again. We're recording on Thursday, September 19, and iOS 13, Apple's new operating system for the iPhone, is due to be released, I believe, at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, This is in uh, preparation, of course, for the release of the new iPhone tomorrow on Friday, uh, September 20, which is the day you will be hearing this podcast. And also the day that I will be getting my new Apple Watch. See, I was just going to ask. My question was going to be, Josh, what have you got on order? Are you getting your watch tomorrow? I'm not getting mine until Monday. Mine shipped from China this morning, and it's not being delivered until the 23rd. Yeah, I'm supposed to be getting it tomorrow. So as if, if I get it tomorrow, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to wait until midnight to set it up. And the reason for this is because I've been burned in the past with trying to uh, change from one Apple Watch to another in the middle of the day. If, you, if you've got streaks in, your, in all your fitness stuff, you may lose them <laughs> if you're switching from one watch to another. I had one that I, I don't know if I had to get a watch repaired. Oh, no, no. I know what it was. I had to get a phone um, replaced. Yeah. And when, I, when that happened, I lost all of my progress on my Apple Watch that day. And so ever since then, it broke a streak and I was what? mad about it. It was, I know it sounds weird. I okay, don't No, no, it. no. But I'm just trying to understand because your Apple watch backs up to your iPhone. And if you back up your iPhone to iTunes, then reload the iPhone with that backup, all that data should be there. Well, what happens, I think is that when it, when it's no longer paired to a specific phone, now you've got to repair that that watch with a a new hardware phone. You know if your if your phone's actually getting replaced, and I guess that's why it reset because it had to repair, and then for some reason it then lost all of the activity for the day. Anyway, I maybe I'm being overly paranoid. This probably doesn't happen to everybody all the time. Uh, I but I like to do I like to even just do watch OS updates at. at you know, in the early, early AM hours when I know that I can still close all my stand rings, for example. Well, I think the stand rings are the easiest ones to close, at least for me, they are. But you, um, you need 12 hours, you know. Yes, that's true. So, that's a good point. So if you do this like in the afternoon, you might, uh, you might, you lose, might lose, lose out on your yeah, stand. Okay. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned that because we have an article on the Intego Max security blog about how to back up your iPhone, whether you should do it to iCloud or to iTunes. And if you're getting a new iPhone, you should read this because you want to back up your existing iPhone before you update your new iPhone. Um, And so I'm getting a new iPhone tomorrow and I'm getting the new watch on Monday. And the, the way the upgrade program works here in the UK is, well, wrong, because in the US, if you're on the upgrade program, Apple ships the new phone to you. 
you have two phones. You have old phone, new phone. You can transfer your data directly, or you can use an iTunes backup or an iCloud backup. The way you do it here is you have to go into the store, hand over your phone, and get a new one. So you have to make sure you have a backup. You can't just transfer data. I mean, maybe they'll let you transfer data in the store, but it can take hours to do it. Um, and, and I find this a little bit annoying, the way that they do it. Once they've checked your ID for the first loan, it should be fine. They shouldn't have to check it again. On top of that, I bought a MacBook Pro financed by Apple uh, in June on a 12-month 0% loan with the same company that does the Apple upgrade loans. And I did it online. I didn't have to show my face anywhere. So, But it's it's worth thinking about this, that you will have a period um, in my case, I would have a period of replacing a phone, which might ruin that streak that's going on with the watch. So I'm going to get the new phone, come home, restore my backup and pair my watch to it. And it's possible that tomorrow's activity might be lost. Now, I don't care too much about streaks, but for those who do, and I understand, um, this could be a bit of a problem. So worth worth knowing about. It's probably not going to affect anyone the, the streak thing. I mean, but but yeah, definitely back up your your iPhone first. And if you're like me and you're concerned about streaks, I I would just recommend doing it in the first half of the day. Any upgrades related to migrating from one phone to another, especially. And uh, if you're upgrading watches, I again, I would just do that at the beginning of the day just to make sure you don't have issues like that. <laughs> Okay. I, I never would have thought of that, to be honest. Um, okay. So in the second half of this episode, we're going to talk about what's new in iOS 13. Uh, but first, we've got some really interesting security news this week. Um, I didn't expect that LastPass, the password manager, would have been found to have a credential leak. That sounds serious. Yeah, th- this is one of those things. And uh, Tavis Ormandy, actually, of Google's Project Zero is the guy that uh, discovered this. Uh, he 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 likes playing around with all sorts of things and finding vulnerabilities. And uh, so he's looked at password managers in the past. He's found issues with password managers before. Um, so uh, I, I do really, really like the fact that he is spending so much time on things like password managers, because when he finds these bugs, he responsibly discloses them to the vendor uh, and he, he, he makes sure that they have a, a fix already in place before he announces the vulnerability to the general public uh, warning them kind of, you know, you need to make sure you upgrade because there is this issue that's now been fixed. Um, so Tavis found this issue. He, he stated that LastPass could leak the last used credentials due to a cache not being updated. Um, and he said this was because you can bypass the tab credential cache being populated by including the login form in an unexpected way. So basically, there's kind of a series of things that all have to line up just right in order to actually exploit this bug. But... If you're running the latest version of LastPass, you don't need to worry about it because it has been fixed now. Right, because they got 90 days notification. They fixed it quickly. So um, while someone might have been able to exploit it in the wild, um, information about this probably did not circulate. Right. And if, if you do have any concerns about this, I mean, you could certainly you know, reset your passwords, but um, it's probably not something you need to worry about, to be honest. Um, this was very likely not something that uh, you know anyone actually was using in the wild. 
So probably not something to be too concerned about, but it's worth mentioning just because we talk about password managers and the importance of using them. And we, recommend we them recommend all the time. That yeah. People use them. So even though there are going to be flaws in password managers, just make sure you're using a good password manager from a reputable company. LastPass is one of the ones that uh, is very popular. And, uh, you know, because of that, people like Tavis Ormandy are looking at it. And that's, to me, uh, although we hear about these scary sounding vulnerabilities, I'm just, I'm glad that, you know, we use a password manager that people like this are looking at. It's much better than using some fly by night, you know, who knows who developed it. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to trust all of my passwords to something like that. Okay. Um, an article that caught my eye this week is in the Washington Post. It says, you watch TV, your TV watches back. Now, I remember back in the day when they instituted Nielsen ratings. This really ages <laughs> me, doesn't it? Um, and, and they would choose, what, 1,000 or 2,000 households in the United States that would have a box, and they would extrapolate from this. And that's really imprecise because – it's just, it's it's hard to get a valid sample. And apparently what's happening now is that smart TVs are really smart and they capture all sorts of data on what you watch. Now, you could understand that obviously when you use Netflix, Netflix is recording how much you're watching. Netflix knows what percentage of people give up in the first five minutes. They even announced not long ago that it, a certain series was the most watched on its first weekend completely. People binge the entire series uh, on the first week, so they have all this sort of data. But what the Washington Post found out is that TVs are even recording data for things that you watch over the air or over cable. Now, what's interesting is that this can replace the Nielsen boxes and give much more precise data, which is what advertisers want. They want to know who is watching when and how much, and particularly if you're if you've got a cable channel that lets you rewatch programs that aren't live and the whole, the whole thing. But the problem is that they're recording lots of data of what you're doing. We've talked about this kind of data collection in other areas. And for, in some ways, it's not surprising that TVs are doing this, but it is surprising to see how much they're collecting. Yeah, it's, it's something to be aware of. And I guess, honestly, in this in this digital world, you know, uh, we should kind of expect that they're looking at things like ratings, right? Uh, anytime that you watch any video online, you're not downloading a copy of that and and having it completely offline for you to do whatever you want with at any time and watch it however many times you want. Every time that you're watching one of these shows, you're streaming it live. That's just kind of the way all these systems work is they're streaming services. And because of that, that necessarily means that whoever is sending that stream to you is going to have information about what you're doing, how much you're watching, and all those sort of things. Yes, but here it's the TV brand that also collects data that they can sell to advertisers and other companies. So you know that the network or the streaming service gets that data but here the TV brand is also collecting data that they're monetizing. Yeah, that's, that, that's where it gets a little bit, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you don't really think too much about privacy when, it, when you're buying a TV and setting up a new television. It's just not something that people really ever think about. Ha- have you looked into the privacy agreement for your television? I, I <laughs> I didn't, but I recall a couple of years ago, there was a story about Samsung TVs leaking uh-huh. a lot of data, and there was a lot of attention at that yeah. time. 
And more recently, there have been articles pointing out that the reason that TVs are so cheap today is because that they're subsidized ah. as ad collection devices. Because you can get a 4K TV for 500 bucks, a decent, you know, decent quality, decent size. Obviously, the high end is still several thousand, but uh, at the low end, TVs are cheap. And basically, if you had to pay what the TV actually cost, uh, it might cost twice as much. But they're making so much money off the data they collect from you that they're able to dump the TVs at, at cost. Well, my basically. advice is that, you know, unless you really, really need all of the features that are built in the smart TV type features, just don't connect your television to your home network. Uh, if you've got a set-top box, if you're using something like an Apple TV, that plugs in, it does all your streaming stuff for you, and so then there's not necessarily even a need to put your television itself on your network. So it, it all depends. That's true, and Apple doesn't collect that sort of data, and they've made it very clear. And this is why some analysts have suggested that Apple should make an Apple TV set. Right. Yes. I, the, <laughs> one analyst in particular, I think, uh, has been pushing on Apple for that for years. And yeah, like 10 yeah. years, I think. Yeah. If they were to look at my TV activity, they would be a bit surprised because I don't watch much. Uh, I rarely watch live TV. What, what I do is I have an old iPad mini in the kitchen. And when I eat breakfast and lunch, I put the news on BBC News or Sky News. Um, we're, we're not, my partner and I don't watch a lot of TV. We'll, um, watch streaming things from say Amazon or Netflix. Um, I actually bought some Blu-rays the other day. Um, but we're not big TV watchers. I do watch stuff on the BBC iPlayer and, but that's about it. So they're not getting much data from me, but again, we're, we're not a typical family with children who might be watching TV all day. Uh, but the other thing is that more and more People are not even using TV to watch TV. They're using tablets. Uh, so this is an interesting market for the TV brands who are paying for the cost of TVs through ads who are not going to be getting those ads much longer if people shift to tablets. In phone news, we have a new SIM card flaw that lets hackers hijack any phone by just sending an SMS. That's pretty scary. <sighs> Yeah, um, we talk about SMS all the time and SIM jacking in the uh, from the point of view of using SMS as a second factor, you know, in two factor authentication. Um, generally, you want to avoid that if you have other options, other ways uh, to have a second factor. Um, there are a lot of apps. Uh, there's Google Authenticator. Microsoft has an Authenticator app, and there are several others as well um, that you can use as a second factor that requires having an app on your phone rather than receiving a text message on your phone. And that's where um, you can run into some problems. And, you know, so through social engineering and other means, it has been possible for an attacker who's specifically targeting you to be able to um, get text messages that are intended for your phone. Um, you have to go through a bit of a process and someone really has to be targeting you. This new SimJacker vulnerability um, is a little scarier because it, it just makes it that much easier to hijack you know, someone else's uh, uh, messages. And so the, uh, there, there's a lot of technical details we won't get into, but um, supposedly... You know, reading up on on the things that this vulnerability is able to do, they say that 
with a $10 GSM modem, you can perform several tasks, including retrieving targeted device location. Uh, you can send fake messages on behalf of victims. You can uh, perform premium rate scams, dial you know premium rate phone numbers. Uh, you can spy on victims' surroundings by instructing the device to call the attacker's phone number. You can spread malware, supposedly. And there's all sorts of things like that. So this is really scary. Unfortunately, there's not really much we can do about this. Um, I know we like, to, we like to tell people how they can work around or patch or update or fix things. And here there's nothing we can do. What it does talk about is specific technology on the SIM card, something S at T browser technology. How do I know if that's on my SIM card? You know, that's a great question, Kirk. And you know, the, the articles that I've been able to find don't really answer that question, but um, apparently the SIM Alliance has acknowledged that this is an issue and they've provided recommendations for those who manufacture SIM cards and encourage them to implement security for the S at T uh, push messages. So basically it's kind of like no one really seems to know how you can check to see whether your SIM card has that feature. And um, if it doesn't, I can't see phone companies replacing millions of SIM cards overnight to fix this. Well, yeah, I guess we'll see if this becomes a really big issue. If some real high value targets are getting hit with, you know, this kind of attack, um, then maybe we'll see phone manufacturers and SIM card manufacturers getting pushed into, uh, you know, having to release some, uh, some new SIM cards for everybody. But I mean, it's such a huge undertaking. If you're talking about shipping a new SIM card to every single person who has a smartphone, um, you know, that's going to cost billions of dollars with the same number on it. Yeah. This isn't a random SIM card number. You don't want to be changing numbers. Although I think, I I think you can use the EMEI on the SIM card or something like that to make the change on the, um, phone carrier server. And, and think about how bad it would be if the, let's say your cell phone company decided they're going to ship out new SIM cards to everybody who's a current, you know, customer of theirs. If they were to do that, that would put them in so much bigger trouble because guess what? People move without notifying their, uh, their carrier. And so now you've got packages going to the wrong address. So you're giving someone else your SIM card. Um, that's yeah. a way bigger issue. And so I don't know, honestly, how this is going to get resolved if it is. Um, it, but once again, um, you know, there are lots of issues with, with SIM cards. Uh, just, you know, try not to rely on SMS too much um, it, from the perspective of, you know, if you get a text message from somebody, you know, on, on a green bubble on your iPhone, um, be a little skeptical because there's no way for you to know for 100% certain that it really came from who it says that it came from. Hmm. I'll have to check that text message I got from my dentist this morning, reminding me of an appointment on Monday. <laughs> well, I do really have an appointment, but someone could have hijacked their system and be sending out fake... Oh, let's not think about this. <laughs> let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about iOS 13. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. 
Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, uh, I mentioned we're going to talk about iOS 13, but first we have just one other vulnerability to talk about. Hackers remotely steal data from Intel CPUs. It's called Netcat. Um, I don't think it's like my cats who do nothing but steal food. Right, and it's also unrelated to something else called Netcat. <laughs> Unfortunately, someone hijacked an existing name and used it for a vulnerability, so... Uh, make no connection to any other netcat. But this netcat, the vulnerability, basically is a flaw in certain specific Intel processors, and it's certain models of Xeon processors, which most Macs don't have. This is only something that's found in uh, like certain models of Mac Pro that have these particular Xeon processors. Um, but uh, there's, there's a flaw that in certain cases can allow hackers to remotely steal data from your processor. Um, there's a lot involved in this. Uh, I, uh, we're not going to get really into this. We will have a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about this. I did reach out to Apple to ask if the Macs that use the affected Intel CPUs are vulnerable. And I've not gotten a response from Apple yet about that. So um, we don't actually even know if this directly impacts any Macs, but it's worth being aware that if you have certain models of Mac Pro, basically the 2013 models of Mac Pro, um, you may be vulnerable to this vulnerability. So it's worth looking into a little more. Okay, so before we get into the new features in iOS 13, there is a iOS 13 flaw, a lock screen bypass that can allow people to access your contacts. Quickly, um, what's this all about? Didn't we see this last year? Um, You know, we see this actually pretty frequently. There are all these interesting lock screen bypasses. I I have no idea how people are still coming up with these things, you know, but somehow... Uh, you know, people play around as much as they can from the lock screen to figure out if there's some way that they can get into other parts of the phone without having to fully unlock it. And that's basically what happened here. There's someone found another flaw, a way to get your full contacts to come up on your phone while it's still in a locked state. And that's not something that's supposed to be able to happen. Um, so 
Don't worry too much about this. You have to have physical access to your phone. As long as you're not putting your phone down and leaving it where other people can mess around with it, um, then this shouldn't be something you should be terribly concerned about. So if you want to upgrade to iOS 13, by all means, you can upgrade right away and not have to be terribly worried about this. But presumably within the next week or so, Apple's either going to release uh, maybe iOS 13.0.1 that addresses this, or else on September 30th, when they release iOS 13.1, it will also certainly have this bug fixed. Okay, so iOS 13, as we mentioned, comes out today, the day we're recording. By the time you listen to this, it will be available. Um, Apple did something, and I mentioned this a while ago, they did something strange in the uh, beta process. They forked iOS um, while developers were using betas for iOS 13, all of a sudden a beta for iOS 13.1 came out before the final release version of iOS 13. Um, so what's called the gold master, that's the release version of iOS 13 that's out on the 19th and iOS 13.1 Apple has already announced for September 30th because a number of features that had been pre-announced aren't available in the initial iOS 13. Now, this gets more complicated because uh, iPad OS 13 is not out on the 19th, will not be out until the 30th. So if you have an iPhone and an iPad, you'll have new features on one device, but not on the other. Maybe they're going to come out with a 13.01. I kind of hope so, because there are a lot of bugs. Uh, one in particular is I can't use CarPlay in my car. Uh, it crashes after about 30 seconds. Um, so that kind of... Since I have no other navigation system, it's kind of a problem, not that I'm necessarily going anyplace, um, but that's a pretty important crashing bug that needs to be fixed. And and a lot of people who are running iOS 13 have found other bugs. But we've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog that we'll link to talking about the main features. Now, you haven't been using this at all, have you? You haven't used any of the betas. No, this time around, I haven't touched any of the betas. If I were going to use a beta, I would have done it on an old device, but unfortunately, the Exactly. Yeah, my old device is an iPhone 6, which cannot run iOS 13. Ah, right. Okay, so what I've done is I've been running the betas on my two iPads, and once the GM came out, I put it on my iPhone. So the marquee feature, the one that gets top of the web page and all the glitzy screenshots is dark mode. <sighs> dark mode. And dark mode came to the Mac, and it's dark. And there are lots of apps that have dark mode, and they're dark. And now it's coming to the iPhone and the iPad, and it's dark. And you might like it. The problem with dark mode is it's actually much more difficult to read for a lot of people than um, light mode. So black text on a white background has a lot of contrast, but white text on a black background doesn't. It can be useful at night if you really don't want too much light. Uh, you can set dark mode to automatically switch at sunset and sunrise, the same as you can on the Mac. Uh, you can do it at all the time. You can do it manually when you want. Do you like dark mode, Josh? You look like the kind of guy who likes um, having that screen with the black screen with the green characters like in the <laughs> Matrix or like, you know, old, old CRTs. I kind of do like that. Yeah, um, I I. I leave dark mode on all the time on my Mac. And actually one, the, one of the main reasons why I like dark mode and will probably be switching to that on my phone is that um, I like the idea of um, keeping the screen as dark as possible from the perspective of uh, battery saving. Um, in, in particular on my phone, I think this will be very handy. If you've got certain models of iPhone, the, the true blacks will actually 
not have any light going to that pixel. And uh, so that can be a, a good thing for battery saving. Um, I don't know if Apple's really touted that much about dark mode, but that is something that um, could potentially be a nice side effect of using dark mode in cases where you've got true blacks on on a good portion of your screen. Yeah, because sometimes a dark mode isn't black. It's dark gray and it's multiple levels of gray. And you'll see this if you look at the the Mac in dark mode. Right, right. So, um, I yeah, I do like dark mode, and this will be something that I will uh, will be using on iOS 13 for sure. Um, I have noticed today that I've been getting a lot of app updates that say that they uh, are you know adding compatibility for dark mode. So you may have an issue if if you're somebody who wants to turn on dark mode right away. Some apps may not really fully support it yet. So that is something to be aware of. Okay, sign in with Apple. And we talked about this a couple months ago after Apple announced it. Um, I don't think we're going to see this implemented right away, but it's part of iOS 13 and macOS Catalina. Uh, it's essentially a way that you can sign in through your iCloud account using a random email address that you can delete at any time. Uh, I look forward to using this. I'd like to see it in action because as of now, I haven't seen anyone um, offer this even on the web. Uh, presumably we'll start seeing this in apps starting with iOS 13. Right. Yeah. Sign in with Apple. I think we talked about it on, on an episode uh, back at after WWDC. I think that was the episode where we discussed this. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Um, sign in with Apple sounds really cool uh, from a privacy perspective. There's some interesting things that you can do with it. So um, I definitely look forward to using that as well. Once apps start to implement sign in with Apple. Okay, I'm not a big Siri user, um, but I do use Siri a little bit. And there's a new Siri voice, which is almost creepy. It sounds so realistic. Let's hear what it sounds like. Hey, Siri, tell me a joke. What do you call Darth Vader when he's nervous? Anakin Skywalker. Uh... Anakin Skywalker. Now, I don't know if you could really tell. See, I use a British voice because... Um, when I use CarPlay in my car, if I use an American voice, it simply cannot figure out the pronunciations for towns and road names. So I had to switch it to a British voice. But that voice sounds really good. It sounds almost like um, Hal in 2001, you know, a synthetic voice that sounds almost human. If you use Siri a lot, I think you're going to like this. But uh, do, do you care that much if Siri sounds <laughs> more human? Do you actually want your assistant, your digital assistant to sound more human and to sound like we're reaching the singularity. Huh. It doesn't matter so much to me how it sounds, but I, I do hope that Apple does continue to invest a lot of time in improving the kinds of things that Siri can respond to. That's more important to me. I, I would like Siri to be more useful than it currently is. I, I agree. We should talk about Siri in, in an episode because it, its lack of usefulness means that I don't use it much. Same here. Anyway, um, one of one of my favorite features is quick path typing. Now, you may remember a couple of years ago when iOS allowed third-party keyboards to be installed, and there was a big flurry of third-party keyboards, and then most people I know stopped talking about them. One of the advantages of some of these keyboards is you can swipe to type. So, for example, if you're going to type, um, I don't know, the quick brown fox, you tap the T and you swipe to the H and the E, and then you see the autocomplete and you let go and it completes and then you tap the Q and swipe UICK, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really quick way to type. And this is built into the keyboard in iOS 13. And I find it really practical. Another really neat keyboard uh, feature is in iPadOS 13. 
And there's this little mini keyboard. So if you have the keyboard visible in on an iPad and you kind of pinch it, it shrinks to a small keyboard the size of the iPhone keyboard. You can move it anywhere you want on the iPad. So you could hold your iPad, let's say with your right hand, have the keyboard there and type with your thumb. Interesting. Yeah, it's practical because you don't always need the big keyboard on an iPad, right? right. Uh, especially if you're in landscape mode, it takes up a ton about forty percent of the screen. Of the yeah. screen. yeah. Um, there, there's lots more. There are some really interesting text editing gestures, and you kind of need to learn these, like doing things pinching with three fingers and all, which are a little bit complicated. Um, there are some interesting updates to the notes and reminders apps. Um, Apple talks about performance, saying that apps will launch up to twice as fast as before. And I haven't really noticed that, but I do have an iPhone XS Max, which is the fastest iPhone prior to tomorrow. Um, so I really wouldn't notice it. Um, iPad OS, you have a new home screen where instead of having four icons across in portrait mode, you can make the icon smaller and have six. And I've always hated that on an iPad mini, the four icons look normal, but you get like a 12-inch iPad, and there's all these space around the icons, so it's a lot more compact, and it's a lot more, you can put more on each home screen. The home screen on the iPad in landscape mode can have the today view with the widget. There's, there's a lot of interesting things. We've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog with a bunch of screenshots, and have a look at it. Um, you will be able to have iOS 13 by the time this podcast episode is released. You'll wait a little bit longer for iPadOS 13. Um, and until then, Josh, you're not getting a new phone, are you? And you're not going to be able to run iOS 13, will you? No, no, no. I, my, my main phone now is, is a 10s, which I got last year. So, uh, so I will be okay running. Oh, you were saying yeah, earlier, yeah. your only older device was exactly. a six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I will, right. I will very quickly be upgrading to iOS 13 and we'll get to enjoy all the nice, fun new features. Okay, well, we'll talk more about it next week, especially because, Josh, you will have a new Apple Watch, and this is the first one you've had in three years. Um, so for you, this is a big upgrade. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, this will be really cool. Um, going from, yeah, Series 1 to a Series 5, uh, there's a lot of features that were introduced in that interim period, so I'm really looking forward to trying it out and messing around with some of the new features. Okay, until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.